0: We are back. back in the Big Apple.
1: Best. Mistakes Ow.
2: We're here. We're queer. Um, we're processing.
0: We're um, spiraling. No, that's not the word.
2: Um, reveling, reveling, ruminating, reeling, um, marinating <laughs>
0: <laughs> like a nice slab of tofu. <laughs>
2: um,
0: Marinated tofu is delicious. What do you ta- what It's the unmerited tofu that warrants that response. Yeah,
2: I just like don't ever want to see tofu. Or no, it's
0: tempeh that you don't want to see again.
2: Yeah, I guess. I mean, just all of it. Um, I just <laughs> I need a break. I I feel like we're I we're taking
0: space from both people and tempeh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, a nice permanent
2: long... space from um tempeh and <laughs> maybe some people um, <laughs> to be kind of discovered to be that. <laughs> To be determined, much like, um, well, not much like because tempeh was unfortunately in my mouth, but much like tempeh (laughs) and this person, um, I don't ever want either of them in my mouth again. Well, their tongue was in my mouth. So yeah, much like tempeh and this person, no, never again in my mouth. (laughs) I don't ever want to eat tempeh again. I literally spit it. I've never spit something out onto my plate as an adult because that's what children do. And I hate that shit. You know, I try everything once. Uh-huh. Um, I spit that tempeh right out onto my plate. I tr- like, I th- I could feel the th- puke coming up into my mouth. I thought it was going to throw up. Mm-hmm. Like white people with dreadlocks. It just begs <laughs> just the like, question of like why. It's just
0: like how did we get? How did this problem get so out of hand? Yeah,
2: like I don't ever, I don't <laughs> ever want to see either of those things again. When
0: and where did we lose the plot so horribly? That um, this is such a big part of all of our lives. It's
2: disgusting
0: and often in the same place uh, always in the same thing. place <laughs> always
2: it, I've, I've, oh my god it's just it's terrible yeah if, absolutely horrible
0: if is in my mouth um, undoubtedly there is a white person with dreadlocks within a mile radius yeah absolutely and if there's a white person with dreadlocks in my eyesight undoubtedly there is tempeh in someone's mouth within a mile radius it was
2: just such like a frustrating betrayal and shocked my system because it was one of my like two days there where I was on so many drugs that I was forcing myself you know this happened twice that i had to force myself to eat with every (laughs) bite of food and i was really trying to be in the clean plate club when both of those things happened because i was like you have to do it you have to eat every bit of food it's not you know it's not your fault you know it's no one's fault that you did too many drugs (laughs) eat um and i went to go finish my plate and i just couldn't and that um i didn't feel held by my community in that moment I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel held. It was not a safe space. It was not a safe space. It is
0: It is not a safe space. Anywhere where Tempe is is inherently not a safe space. Yeah,
2: it just really made me want to tap into the Psychic Friends Network because <laughs> I needed... Um, I needed... Uh, a net that works. A net that works. I needed um, an access doula there to help me, <laughs> yeah. you know? I needed... Uh, what are your wants and what are your needs? My wants are to never see that again. And my needs are to never eat it again. Yeah.
0: It was kind of like, you know, when there's like a person and I'm sure we are, we're actually fully these people for some other, for other people. Oh, but absolutely. you know how there's like that person that like everyone loves and yeah. you're just like, well, I just don't fucking oh, get totally. it. What is this person's fucking totally, deal? Totally. Tempe is um, <clears throat> the version of that in the, like mainstream healthy food. Absolutely. Like most, quote unquote, healthy food, even if it's not my favorite, I get it. I'm like, I understand why people eat this or, you know, I even understand why some people force themselves to eat certain healthy things. Tempeh, yeah. I can't wrap my mind around any of it.
2: Yeah. Same.
0: Nor my mouth.
2: No, it's disgusting.
0: Um, So that's where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, we just went on a two week trip. We, um, did a lot of different things on that trip. We communed with, um, nature and with our loved ones and with a larger queer community. Yes. Um, we went to Dollywood. (laughs) Wait, sorry. That's what I just said. Um (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
2: We went to Dollywood for the second time. Yes, um, and we'll be back a third this in fall. a matter. Yeah, in a matter of really months. Yeah, um, because we got our uh, rainy oh day. We
0: made out like bandits we in Dollywood. We okay. So Dollywood has a policy that if your day is cut short by the rain, they will give you a free pass to another day. And so when we woke up that morning, it was raining, and the forecast was that it was going to rain all day. But we were like, well, we're not going to be able to get that rain check unless we go. Yeah. And then leave, quote unquote, because the rain Mm -hmm. is cutting our visit short. So we were like, you know, even if we like get there and it's still raining and we have to like basically not do anything once we're there and just leave right away. It's worth it to get that rain check. Yeah. But then we got there and it was beautiful mm-hmm. all day. All like day. like the sun literally came out like on our drive there yep. and then the sun was shining all the way up until like 5 PM mm-hmm. and the park closes at 7 PM and there are multiple indoor activities to do. So we went and did like one of those activities for like an hour So we were still there and having a good time until 6 p.m. And then um, it started thundering, and so the park closed. And because it wasn't even, like, our choice to leave at that point, they just automatically gave everyone at the door rain checks. And so we got a full day at Dollywood and still got a, like, we're sorry your day got cut short by one hour. Um, And those tickets, like, Dollywood is, like, at least 80... four dollars and I think on other days even more expensive than that um so it is not you know it's not nothing to get a free pass to Dollywood I'm gonna be like guarding that thing with my life same
2: it's yeah it's in my wallet where it will remain (laughs) behind my Medicaid card forever yeah like I and
0: yeah so we went to Dollywood and then also last but not least
2: we we went to
0: Pittsburgh Pennsylvania and saw our queens Allie and AJ yes um your first time seeing them since mm-hmm. they were Disney kids, right?
2: Yeah. Well, I didn't see them when they were Disney kids. I just went to a meet and greet. I think their CD had come out or something like something came out. I was in the eighth grade.
0: Oh, word. So you didn't even see them in concert. You just met them.
2: Yeah. I just met them at a meet and greet in Roger Williams Park. And they like that. signed um, a CD or something that I had. Yeah. I didn't see them.
0: Ugh. what's what what's your review?
2: They're amazing. <laughs>
0: Sorry. <Ooh. laughs> it sounded like I had a gun to your head. <laughs> what do you think, Mika? Uh, Choose your words very carefully because I got you this concert ticket as a help
2: thoughtful uh, gift. Ow, my head. <laughs> they were um they're amazing. I loved seeing them. They were absolutely wonderful, magnificent. Um I was bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. Um <laughs> At that concert. Yeah.
0: If you take nothing away from this podcast, if you take nothing else away, please take away that Ali and AJ are so much more than potential breakup song. Yeah. They have so much music that they've released since 2017.
2: Yeah. Their music is amazing. Uh,
0: Yeah. That's our trip. If you want to hear about some of our more um, emotional revelations and um, things that we've had to confront, uh, On a you know personal level, while on this trip, you can hear about that kind of stuff on our Patreon episode Mm -hmm. this week. We get very into detail about how we're feeling.
2: Yep, go listen.
0: So go listen to that if you can stomach it. If you want, if or if you need to relate to someone (laughs) because you're going through it, um, in a situationship or a you know, um almost lover
2: yeah (laughs) goodbye my almost lover goodbye yeah so I need more songs about that because that is often what I'm going through yeah just mourning the almost lover um maybe I'll write that song
0: I mean honestly I'm like sometimes I get all up in my feelings about like the kind of um the uh, what's the fucking? My brain is absolutely short circuiting for the last like five minutes, and I keep forcing it to work and It's like come back another day. we are out of office. <laughs> um I sometimes get in my feelings about like all of these cut short like potential situations, mm-hmm. and I've been realizing recently to be grateful. About how long it's been since I've had like true heartbreak. Yeah. About like a, like an actual lost love.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I have so much to look forward to. I've, uh, can't wait for my first actual, um, heartbreak. Cause I've actually never, I haven't had that one. Really? Yeah. No, I've, I've told you this. I've never had my heart broken by anyone who has told me that they were in love with me. I have never been in love with somebody who has also said the words to me. I'm in love with you. Interesting. Yeah. I have had. I guess
0: you've told me that, but I didn't realize.
2: Yeah. The closest is Marco who told me he loved me, but not that he was in love with me.
0: I mean, what's what is the difference there to you?
2: Um well, because then, you know, he was able to throw in my face that he, you know, we were just, like, friends who were fucking... Okay, got it, got it, got yeah, it. Yeah, you know, everybody that, you know, I'm sure there have been lovers I've had who have, like, put me in my feelings, who have been in love with me to some degree, but they have never been people who have said it to me. So then they've there's been, you know, the plausible deniability on their end. <laughs> oh um, infuriating. Yeah. So, yeah, I have never... Never had a requited, to my knowledge, in love um, story. Well, I, I guess w- one friend who very recently.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah,
2: but that we didn't. Not, nothing came of it. It we didn't just, culminate in anything. Yeah, we just it was told just each quietly other quietly,
0: being in love with each other separately from it, afar. From afar, yeah, yeah. While like
2: verbalizing it at different points in our friendship, but like. Beyond making out one No, you're one right. Time. A
0: retrospective, like, I was in love with you at this point, or whatever, doesn't, like, count in this particular... Yeah, no. Because it's like, okay, well, great. I didn't know that. Yeah, no,
2: the universe um, is... I thought about this on our trip, um, is obsessed with trapping me in a horror movie of um, no one ever being in love with me. So, that is just... that That apparently you know, the God X <laughs> has decided that that is my journey. Uh-huh. So, yeah.
0: I don't know if it's been a higher power so much as it's been my own fucking, um, inclinations and decisions that has decided this for me, but I'm definitely on a, like the more meaningful connections of my life are my friendships yeah. type of journey. Yeah. And sometimes I yearn for or long for or desire a, new connection that is more than that. Yeah. Um, But when that has come up, at least in the last like four or five years, every time that has come up, there has been a reason why I or the other person aren't really actually interested in um, what comes with, like the responsibility that comes with like, okay, yes, let's do this. Yeah. It's like um, a series of just the excitement of the like beginning of something yep. and then the like oh fuck is this more serious mm-hmm. like impasse that inevitably comes and me or the other person usually me but more recently I've got the fun experience of it being the other person um saying all right I'm going to tap out now yeah and hopefully we can be friends one day <laughs> and um you know I don't know if what I want is actually for that to, to like officially cross that line with someone it's hard it's like it actually is there's a reason that people call it commitment issues it's yeah. a fucking commitment I mean
2: I would like to once and soon to be honest um just to regardless of how it all pans out and where the chips fall like if I get hurt or the person gets hurt like you know getting hurt is inevitable but It would definitely be nice to not be in a continued spiral of like wondering if there is something fundamentally wrong with me (laughs) and like, you know, well, I mean it like, let me
0: put you like, (laughs) let's stop that line of thinking right there with, um, let's think about kind of everyone we know that has had a (laughs) like committed in love reciprocated relationship and then also, um, see that the Venn diagram of how many of them have something fundamentally wrong with them is also just a circle
2: yeah I mean we all have something fundamentally <laughs> wrong with us I'm just like is my like what I just don't yeah I don't get it you know I get lots of um, lots of people lots of our friends have different um, opinions on what the problem is the, you know, the main thing always is that I'm closed off or something. That's what I often get, you know, told or that I'm not, I don't let people know how I'm feeling about them. No, so fuck no that. So no one knows. But fuck yeah, that. no, I mean, I agree. Fuck that too. I'm like, I'm the most emotionally intense person that many of our friends have ever met. And if I'm into you, it's literally all over my fucking doe eyes. <laughs> so, and the fact that I literally follow you around like a dog, um, So I just don't really agree with that, Um, but yeah, I would like to. Because, like, you know, we've talked about this before on the podcast. The only two people I've been in like legit relationships with that weren't even like long term relationships, I wasn't into either of them, and I'm like, I'm I would love to be in a relationship with someone that I think is as, like, cool and interesting as I find myself to be. Mm-hmm. I'm obviously not going to settle again for, like, some boring dud because <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, I have no problem, like, being alone or going to bed alone at the end of a party or at the end of the night. I'm obsessed with my friends, and I like sleeping in my comfy little bed after partying for 14 hours. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it would be nice. It would yeah. be nice to feel chosen. Yes. You know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I get that. I, I, it's like a mixed bag for me. I sometimes wonder if the ship has sailed for me to ever feel that way again because I'm like, did it require? And listen, I'm sure there are plenty of people that are in healthy relationships now that will be like, no, Anya, don't say that because this isn't true about my relationship and sure. But for myself, does it require that I was, um, in the place mentally and emotionally that I was the last time I like actually dated someone Mm -hmm. for me to feel the way I felt about those people about anybody ever again? Like, does it require me being like as insecure and as like, um inexperienced and as like blind to red flags as I was back then for me to as like hopelessly fall for someone as I did at the time like yeah and like that's okay that that's okay if that's over for me I just would like to like actually know yeah because um I then need to, like, I guess I just need to adjust my expectations of, like, what it is I'm looking for. Yeah. And I have found that the only time I've gotten close to feeling that way again is by kind of now this time intentionally ignoring red flags. Yeah. Like, you know, when I was 18, I was, it was unbeknownst to me that there were even red flags there because I was still learning those lessons. And in this, you know, in the last like year, I've had a couple of romantic situations where I felt very strongly about these people. Not quite the same. Like I didn't fall in love with these people. Um, but I feel like my strong feelings were only made available when I kind of made the decision to just like go for it anyway, even though there were like multiple signs not to. Yeah. And as I like walk away from those situations and I try to internalize the lessons I learned from those situations, one of the lessons being don't do that again. Yeah. I'm like, so what feeling is it that I'm even looking for in a person anymore? Because I'm like. Do we get to fall as like head over heels in love with someone like fucking pride and prejudice, Uh the notebook like titanic in love with someone um do we get to do that when we are no longer naive i don't know
2: yeah i don't know either i mean
0: and is that even necessarily i guess like the thing we should be looking for or have we been sold that idea
2: yeah you know there's this like whole quote that i think about a lot and i don't i don't know it like word by word but the version of it that i remember is essentially that like your soulmate or the person that like you're healthy and healthily in love with is not the person that sets off fireworks, yes. etc. In you, it's the person that gives you you know this kind of feeling of calm that we often mistake for not being a romantic connection. Um, and so I try to lean into um, that, but I don't know. I don't know.
0: Yeah, because yeah, the like. Twists and butterflies in our stomach are um, often a reaction to feeling um, insecure yeah. or like unsure or uh, like um, not at ease mm-hmm. and like it can feel really good like a roller coaster feels good mm-hmm. but a roller coaster is not like an experience that you just want to like never get off of. Yeah. For example, I mean, a a queer elder recently was talking to me um, at the Beltane event that we were just at. Um, She was telling me about her fiancé and like how they found each other and like all the failed relationships that led to finding this person and like how she knows that this person is the right person is that... um, she like realized that like all these relationships that she had been having were um relationships where it sort of always felt like they were fighting for something mm-hmm. like that like you know they just had to persevere through like this ultimately in retrospect incompatibility yeah um because like the connection they had was worth that fight and like the connection was worth the um unease that they were experiencing together mm-hmm. and she was like when I finally met this person um, and like just how easy everything like felt with this person and how like natural everything felt and how it never like felt like we were um, up against anything together mm-hmm. it was just that we're like in it together and that yeah. sometimes is that sometimes has its obstacles and sometimes doesn't but it's not just like a constant obstacle course like that's when she realized like oh this is what is actually the thing um and i love that for her but i guess i'm just like curious what that i and i should have asked her what that actually feels like like physically the sensation of falling in love with somebody in that like capacity versus you know, quote unquote, the wrong people. Yeah. Cause I just don't even like trust sometimes my own, like, like what it is I'm chasing.
2: I feel like I'm often, I mean, it's so fucking textbook, like bullshit, but like, I'm always chasing, uh, romantic connections with people that, like, fucking remind me of my dad, mm. which is, like, so wow. But <laughs> it's just true. It's, like, I'm always fucking going for these, like, what I view as, like, very, like, kind, gentle, but, like, completely, like, emotionally skittish and emotionally unavailable men who I am, like, teaching. Like, I'm showing them the world because, you know, I... I mean, it's, I get it. I'm kind of trying to, like, mirror my parents' relationship with each other, which is my mom was, like, this very cool, bohemian, like, otherworldly woman that caught my dad's eye, and my, you know, that's what he loved about my mom. My mom loved about him, all the things I just said. Like, emotionally kind of distant, but, like, seemed like he had a shit together, gentle, secure, intelligent guy. Um I've been thinking about this a lot in the last few months, like, because I never really have thought and I've always kind of like laughed away the idea that my parents' divorce has had any impact on how I view romantic relationships just because I was so young when they got divorced that I was, I've always felt like it would be ridiculous to attribute any kind of like trauma responses to that. But obviously, it's there. Um, <laughs> You know, my five-year-old brain, I guess, remembers a lot more than I've given it credit for. Um, But, yeah, it's, like, so corny. And I was (laughs) thinking a lot about that with this, like, most recent person.
0: Often, um, I have found that, like, some of the more profound revelations that we can have about ourselves come with an eye roll and a, of course. Yeah. You know, it's, like, I always make, like, really cliche, like, realizations about myself. And then I'm, like, well fuck me. Yeah. Like duh. everyone has been like, this is a, literally a trope. Yeah. And, no, I, totally. and like, I didn't see it until now. Yeah. I mean the, like the whole like daddy issues thing. Another thing that I kind of realized during this conversation with this same person, um, was that daddy issues, quote unquote, quote, or like, you know, looking for these relationships, um, that remind you of your father. Don't, Begin and end at just qualities that your dad has. Because I've always been like, I don't really go for people like my dad. Like I don't like the qualities that my dad possesses are not really qualities I look for in people other than, I guess, being like funny. But what I realized is that what I look for are people that and it's completely subconsciously because I would never purposefully look for this. But I, I, I am drawn to people who make me feel the ways that my dad has historically made me feel.
2: I mean, same. Yeah. Like, That's subconscious for me, too. Yeah. Because I would never actually want... Like, I love my dad a lot. Same, and same, our same. relationship is better now. But the way he same. made me feel as a child <laughs> yes. was often, like, discredited. And, like, I was not, like, living up to the, you know, kind, kind of like a loser. Like, I often felt like I was, like, not living up to the idea of, like, what he wanted me to be. And that is, like, what made me rebel so hard to be, like, I'm going to be this counterculture person. Like, I'm going to live my life as (laughs) an adult. That's what made you trans. Yeah, yeah. It was my dad being emotionally distant and kind of mean to me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, always feeling like I wasn't... um, Like, I was, like, too emotional or, like, my head was too in the clouds. I was too idealistic. Um, And I definitely... Every guy, and I, I keep saying guy because, again, I have, like, not, you know, I'm queer, but I have not been in any um, kind of, like, situationships with any girls yet, um, to my knowledge. But, you know, I, like, guys that I have been into have always end up making me feel that way, of making me feel like I'm, like you know, bring out that insecure, I'm not good enough and I'm, like, kind of stupid side of me, which is so funny because I often feel like I'm one of the smartest people I know, like, very intellectual. But with every guy that I've been with, I always go for guys that I think are smarter than me. Interesting. And that make me feel kind of dumb. Yeah. It was one of the main things I loved about Marco and Andre was that I felt like they were both smarter than me and they both, I could tell they both thought that they were smarter than Mm. me.
0: Yeah, like, the thing that I kind of realized was that I go for people that um, I have a hard time predicting how they feel or how they're going to react. Yeah. Like people that I um, am for better or for worse kind of constantly surprised by um, or like caught off guard by their like both positive and negative emotional reactions to things. Mm -hmm. And like my childhood was always that like, my mom was super predictable and stable and my dad it always sort of felt like I felt loved by him um, but I, I it was like I never knew whether um, these the same behaviors he would either think are like funny and like laugh along with me or he'd be like hurt and upset and like mad at me mm-hmm. or if he was going to like be admiring a quality of mine or criticizing a quality of mine mm-hmm. Like, I, I, it was so hard for me to tell which reaction I was going to get. And so I kind of became, like, accustomed to um, either specifically trying to appease and cater to that yeah, um, and inevitably failing because of it, the nature of it being unpredictable or, like, purposefully almost instigating um, negative reactions because then at least I knew, you know, like, now this is at least within my control that I'm being a little shit right now. Yeah. And like, I feel like I'm often attracted to people that like, even if it's for different reasons, I, they bring out those same like insecurities and then later like instigative qualities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm having
2: lots of realizations on this episode right now. (laughs) Um, I'm now realizing how much um, the guys that I go for reminding consciously reminding me of my dad relate so much to like the uh just so like my I've always felt about my dad that I have like always I'm not anymore but very recently not anymore I feel like I've spent my whole life trying to prove to my dad that yeah I'm like kind of nutty and bohemian and like live, like, a very alternative life compared to a lot of, like, you know, quote-unquote normal people, but that doesn't discount the fact that, like, I am a stable person who can also, like, uh, foster, you know, healthy relationships, etc., and that is so much the kind of relationship spiral I always have with guys where I'm constantly trying to prove to guys and to myself that I'm, like, Yeah, I'm this, like, you know, crazy, like, manic pixie dream girl tranny who, you know, (laughs) is, like, living this alternative life. But, like, I'm not just someone that you, like, can fuck. I'm, like, also someone that you can, like, have, like, an enriching romantic relationship with. And I, I always feel so bruised by the guys that... I fall for because they always leave me. They always, in my mind, confirm for me that actually that's not true, and mm-hmm. that I am just the person you're gonna hook up with like once or twice, and then or you know flirt with, and then fuck off, and you're gonna go date someone else. Um, so yeah, I'm just realizing how linked that all is. <laughs> I love that is free therapy.
0: Yeah, see, this is not just a comedy and <laughs> um, like historical esque no, we're this a also, podcast. This is also This yeah. is real time therapy. This is real time self-help. Yeah. Um because who else is gonna do it?
2: Yeah. We're it's a real um I'm back in my eprey love bag for a minute. So <laughs> you're gonna be seeing lots of eprey love quotes um on my socials and I'm gonna really be intellectualizing My life, the way that uh, Liz Gilbert would probably intellectualize these experiences. Uh So get ready, (laughs) y'all. Catch me with a tote bag that has a beaten up copy of Eat, Pray, Love and five Xanax in it at (laughs) all times. (laughs) I'm going to start wearing loose linen pants everywhere. (laughs) But yeah, processing in... Real time, Delilah. Delilah, can you play a song about that? <laughs>
0: Welcome to processing in real time with Anya and Nika.
2: That—that's when we um, get rid of deep dive because we run out of mistakes. That'll well, be the new be segment. Processing in real time. Yeah, I actually kind of love that.
0: <laughs> love that for us. Love that for
2: us. Well, Alisa can you do like a little Delilah jingle for that for yeah. the processing in real time segment? <laughs> processing in real,
0: real time. time um shall we segment
1: oh, let's segment
2: Mistakes,
0: keepsakes, and hot our keepsake is that we both have a mysterious
2: cop. won't be um kobe's ovi um, we
0: only have gay covid so you can only catch it from us if you're gay and yeah. so what does that say about you if you get covid from us you might want to think about that
2: Um, yeah, I don't have COVID. I just, my body is kind of achy and I've had chills and I have this weird dry cough that won't go away. The food I was eating today, like didn't really taste like anything. Um, and I just felt really dizzy. I've been having brain fog.
0: Uh I was just around 400 people. I'm joking. I don't
2: have any of the symptoms except the cough. Don't worry.
0: In any case, we got back last night and we'll take some tests imminently. And next week you'll find out what the results of those tests are. But yes, Um, um, mysterious dry cough after traveling what could it possibly be in 2022 who knows maybe that's our keepsake we're mm, scarlet fever our keepsake is um long covid um <laughs> can't help we're but keep keeping it, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, um not to make light of long COVID. I don't think that that is a funny thing. And I'm so sorry to everyone that is dealing with it. But, you know. All
2: you can do is laugh at all this All we point. can do
0: at this point. Lord knows um, no one is coming to save us. So yeah. <laughs> all we can do is.
2: It's like that dog with the fire behind him just like grinning or something. <laughs> that meme. Yeah. Yeah, that's us. That's
0: oh, us. The, the this is fine. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, like, cup of coffee. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that's that is us with this pandemic at this point. Um, That's all that's left to do. Yeah. But um, other than our cough, a, a lot has come out of this trip. Um, yeah. Other than our cough and our um, daddy issue realizations. Yeah. Let's, let's get into it. Let's
2: get into it. Um, A lot has come out of this trip, including me coming at the end of our trip. Finally. Oh, love that. Not with someone who I would ever like normally hook up with. But I just was like, you know what? I'm going to be a slut.
0: Sometimes you just got to get your nut.
2: Yeah. I was like, you, if I like look at you through squinted eyes (laughs) are hot. Um,
0: My exact um, criteria that night as well. The very last night of the trip, we both like (laughs) hooked up with honestly just not real lookers. (laughs) But sometimes, okay, not enough people talk about this. Sometimes it is hot to be the much hotter person in an interaction because it is hot how, like, grateful the other person is. Oh, yeah.
2: I love fucking myself through other people. Same. Yeah. And I love, like,
0: I love when somebody is clearly, like, really excited that I, like, am even giving them the time of day. My
2: favorite thing is to say, I know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Also... (laughs) I, like, it, it elicits none of my own insecure attachment. Exactly. Um, and so I'm fully free yeah, of I'm like, my own bullshit in those interactions. I'm, like, I feel
2: no need to talk to you ever again outside of what just happened. I don't need to prove
0: anything to this person. I don't want it, your number. How this person feels about me does not inform any of how I feel about myself. Yep. And listen, I'm getting over that in general, but it it bubbles up. If With a hot enough person, I'll, oh, I'll yeah. like, definitely be, like... Oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck. Yeah. Um, and you know, just be a less uh present version of myself because I'm like overanalyzing if I'm like being cool or hot enough for the interaction. And like absolutely none of that factors in when you're um you know that the other person is punching way above their weight.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And hotness is a state of mind. It is state of mind.
2: Yeah. Um, okay, so, segments. Um, let's see. My mistake. Um, my mistake is like a long con one that came to a head this week. But just um, found myself in a position where I really had to like look myself... You know, and I had to look in the proverbial mirror mm-hmm. and sometimes a mirror that was at a campsite, um, <laughs> sometimes just the mirror, sometimes just the mirror um, and really acknowledge the fact that I have been in a recurring spiral with someone where I have not been showing up for myself in the ways that I want to be showing up for myself or in the ways that I would show up for someone if it was happening to them and that I've been acting in a way that from the outside looking in when I took myself out of the situation and looked at it, it was like quite embarrassing for me to acknowledge um, because I've kind of been you know for lack of a better phrase being like that girl um, and like not really having a ton of self-respect for myself um, and at the end of the day in my opinion for myself, I feel like you can only really like there are, it always takes two to tango and there are lots of factors that come into situations where people are hurt. But like at the end of the day, you're in control or you should be in control of how you are allowing yourself to be treated. And I don't, I don't mean this in like a victim blamey way. Just talking about like in like a friendship or a relationship, like where you're, where you have your head on straight and you're still... Your emotions are still at a critical point. Yeah. Um, and you're knowingly allowing it to happen. And you're feeding into it. Um, and so that was just... that I feel like that has been the mistake of my week. Um, has been... Because even even last week, I was... Uh, allowing it to happen and was feeding into it before I finally came to this conclusion and this realization um of just continuing to uh feed into something that felt good in the moment but like was torturing me as soon as that moment and like sliver of like feel good happiness was over mm-hmm. um my keepsake definitely this trip in general but specifically um there were so many amazing moments that happened. Um, but specifically, I don't know if she listens or not, but Beardance. Oh, um, we love you. I have not seen Beardance or had not seen Beardance since October of 2019. I, I like, you know, I knew in my heart of hearts that picking up with her where we had left off was going to be very natural just because of how like inherently close our connection felt really from like the second that I met her. Um, But yeah, just getting to like literally be in her arms so many times this week and, or last week and the way that she just makes me laugh and the like kind of like levity and calm and like grace that she brought into the space while also being a fucking like Carrie queen um, it was just so like healing and nice and gorgeous to be around. Um, and that is why she's my big sis. Um, and yeah, that would be, again, the whole week was a keepsake within itself. Um, but that, and you know, the second keepsake definitely would be being on that trip with you and JP. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we stayed in a tent together on a single air mattress for what? Eight days. Uh-huh. Um, and while everyone was like, wait, y'all brought three tents, but you're only sleeping in one together. <laughs> Interesting. Cool. Yeah,
0: everyone was like, what are y'all? <laughs> What's the deal here?
2: Um, And just our trip in general, you know, from... Not one fight. Not one fight, just constant good vibes, so much laughter. I never felt like I didn't want to be around you guys. And our trio felt really natural. And it was like, nice to not... Feel like we were like clinging to each other um, while we were camping, but you know, still being around each other all the time. Cause you and I had talked both on the podcast and just to each other about, um, wanting to make sure that we spent like actual time together on this trip because we often will go to the party together and then meet up at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Cause we're doing our own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I very much didn't want that to happen on this trip where I was like, Oh, I haven't hung out with Anya for three days. Like, <laughs> well, I know she's here, but, um, we're uh-huh. like, I'm just seeing her at the tent. Um, and same with JP. Cause you know, one of my best friends, but I don't really spend all that much time with him when we're in the city. Um, yeah, that was special. Um, And my hot take is that um, being in community with people means being confrontational when people are acting like assholes um, and that the most loving thing you can do for a person is to hold them accountable um, and not with like, you know, with like actual, tangible, actionable consequences. Um, and, like, being straight with them, um, even when it, like, has the capacity to, like, kill the vibe and, like, <laughs> what's, like, a fun, like, magical moment, um, sometimes the vibe needs to be killed temporarily and we all kind of need to, like, step back into um, a sense of, like, hard reality um, for shit to not, for the environment to not breed a culture where people are allowed to kind of run around with like unchecked shitty and sometimes like very harmful behaviors Mm -hmm. um and i say this because often and i think it's good but often in you know queer communities in our own queer community there is a desire to want to Lean away from what we see as cancel culture, and to lean away from what is seen as judging people. We want to, you know, we want people to feel held and safe with us. Um, but I'm just here to say that they're not like mutually exclusive things. Being getting into a confrontation with somebody and holding them accountable is not mutually ex- exclusive from somebody feeling held and feeling safe and feeling Mm -hmm. loved. They should actually go hand in hand. Um, And I know personally that I don't find myself, I'm not someone who feels held and feels safe with people that I don't trust are going to have the capacity to fucking call me out on my bullshit Uh when I'm being harmful or when I'm just like carrying too much and I need to like come back to planet Earth. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Period. Period. I agree. My keepsake um, is definitely like obviously just like the beautiful, wonderful two weeks that I just spent with two of my besties. Also, if you haven't yet, listen to our episode with our bestie JP. Yes. Um, We had him on the pod and, um, you know, I think that it's a really wonderful episode that like, brings out a side of us that JP brings out in both of us. It's yeah. just like a much more like silly. I mean, we're silly with each other and we're silly on this podcast all the time, but like JP is just like infectiously silly, <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> truly a forever child, mm-hmm. but in like the most beautiful way. Yeah. And we recorded that episode right at the beginning of this road trip. And I have to say, like, if you listen to that episode, like the vibes never shifted from that. No, they we didn't. had two full weeks of like that energy with yeah. each other. And I just thought that that was like so beautiful to like have found friendship in my adulthood. You know, everyone always talks about how hard it is to make new friends as an adult. And like, I feel really bad for people who find that to be their experience um, oh, like because I- I've made some of the most like. Some of the most precious and um, beloved friendships of my life in my 20s, um, both of you being among those friendships, yeah. the like side of myself that I that is brought out by y'all and the like amount of playfulness that we have together is just so special to me. And like, you know, I just don't think that adults play enough. I agree. And we just played hard yeah all for the full two weeks we were just like laughing and literally like playing pretend like kids together um while also having very serious conversations and like unpacking difficult things in our lives together and I don't know it was just like really really beautiful to share an experience like that because I feel like that's also an environment where it could very easily bring out what I don't like in a friendship yeah and none of that happened, at least for me.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, same. There's like rare, you know. I often um, find myself in like, maybe it's because I have two sisters, but I love to be in a trio. Um, <laughs> I often, you know, have different variables of uh, trios with the many friends that we have. Um, and I have to say, this is my favorite of the trios. Um, it just is like a good, fucking time. Um, and I like never once felt like I wished that somebody who wasn't there was there. Of course, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, and now that we're not with our friends on that trip, I miss them. But I never was like, oh, this would be more fun if like so and so is here. (laughs) Like, I wish they were here right now. Like, I never, yeah, just the vibes were always right.
0: Yeah. And at one point, I made a reference. I was like, this is like a road trip of three people. Um, that have all at some point had sexual tension with one another. Like literally (laughs) (laughs) all of us at the beginnings of each friendship thought we were going to fuck each other. (laughs) And then none of us ever fucked each other. And now we're just like three best friends that like went on a two week road trip together and slept in like beds together the whole time. And at one, like at at the very end of it, I like was making a lot of jokes about it. And at one point I like made the reference to the movie e 2 Mama Tambien mm-hmm. which is a road trip movie with like three people with sexual tension and it like ends in disaster mm-hmm. and like with none of them being like friends anymore <laughs> it's like a, an, an iconic movie but like um, and if you haven't seen it see it it's like a really wonderful film but I was like we are having the opposite of that road trip movie <laughs> <laughs> we just still love each other and had a great time unfortunately <laughs> a personal keepsake was just that I um, finally went to this event that you know has um, Lollapalooza yeah we went to Lollapalooza <laughs> we went to Burning Man yeah um, <laughs> we went
2: to, we went to golf Ball. finally <laughs>
0: finally Camped after all Randall's this Island. Up. <laughs> um, no we went to just an event don't worry about it Um <laughs> Um, if you go through our entire podcast and piece together little pieces of information that uh, the bre- the breadcrumb trail that we've left, uh, I think it gives you, we've given you enough keywords to perhaps somehow stumble upon this event on Google. Um, but we are unfortunately, um, we cannot just outright tell you yeah on the podcast we're being bound many by, of you yeah we're yeah. being
2: bound by old magic that <laughs> we don't necessarily agree with but
0: <laughs> terrible terrible things will happen if yeah. we break this promise
2: and uh, yeah um, but yeah many of you who listen we've been, were there yeah
0: we've been sworn to secrecy but many of you were there many of our listeners are found us through this community and yeah. this event um, it's the, okay, well, f- fine. We'll tell you what it is. It's the Midsommar, <laughs> <laughs> um, event that happens in Sweden. Is that where she goes? Yeah. Very yeah. white. So we, we road tripped to Sweden Yeah, with JP Yeah. Um, and it was beautiful and boy, were the human sacrifices glorious this year. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It was a
0: fruitful, yeah. And technically the dates don't really make sense. <laughs> don't worry about it. Um, Anyway, I finally went to this event that many of our friends um, is, you know, it's it's something that a lot of our group of friends have been like dying for me to finally come to with everyone. And because of the pandemic, it just hasn't been an option until this year, Mm -hmm. which ironically, everyone caught COVID at it. So (laughs) maybe that was for the best that it was not um, <laughs> happening, Yeah, but you know,
2: well, hey, enough
0: least, is enough. <laughs> yeah. It's
2: a happen after the majority of us are vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. could you imagine if it had happened before that and we were allowed to go? Ugh, yeah. No, no, I mean, the
0: it being held off was for the best. Yeah. And I don't think that it's, you know, it's a conscious decision we all made that we might get sick if we go, because that's just the reality of groups of people Getting together,
2: yeah. I mean, when six hundred people got together, <laughs> it's a bound few to of happen. them are going to get COVID. Yeah. That's
0: just how the, that's how the cookie crumbles. Yeah, um, and that's my keepsake that people got COVID. Um, <laughs> no, my keepsake people is that I, I didn't finally got like COVID, went and um, whatever. We've been saying on the podcast already, unrelated to this event. Yeah, that I have been in need of a fairy name. Yeah. And I had been saying that I don't think it's right for me to have one until you. until I've been. Yeah. <laughs> um, to whatever this event might be, <laughs> this unnamed event. Um, it's Run Fair. We it's... went to Run Fair. <laughs> we went to the Renaissance Fair, okay? <laughs> And, I, and we dressed up as fairies. I
2: literally did ask them that the first time that I went to one of these events. I was like, so are y'all like the Ren fair people? And they were like, what? Did you just ask? Which, and in retrospect, I'm like, you, kind of, you kind of are. You're just cooler and you fuck more.
0: <laughs> and like do acid. Yeah,
2: but um, it's basically Ren fair.
0: But it's basically Ren fair. I'm sorry, you're literally in got, all day. I literally
2: got one of my crowns from a Ren fair shop in Manhattan. <laughs> like um anyway we went to king richard's fair (laughs) they had it early this year because of covid (laughs) we went to carver massachusetts
0: renfair renfair and famously renfair has a very strict (laughs) gatekeeping policy (laughs) and they'll be really mad when they find out that we've said that we that's what it was where it is yeah
2: we're just you know we're gonna be banned um which is fine because a lot of people the, have and they keep going back.
0: That's the risk we're willing to take to just be honest with our podcast listeners. Yeah. Okay, anyway. So this unnamed secret society. society. Okay, guys, we joined the Illuminati. <laughs> fine.
2: And Anya got a fairy name. <laughs> uh, Beyonce gave it to her.
0: We're, um, what are they called? Freemasons? Yeah. We're Freemasons now. Yeah. And that's actually like fairy just is derived from free. It's just like your Freemason name. So my Freemason name so we're Freemasons now. I finally got my Freemason name. We went to um, one of those secret g- gatherings in the woods that George Bush went to. Remember that? Yeah, I do. We saw him there. Yeah, um, he was there. That's what what your hot take was about. Yeah, <laughs> was holding George Bush communi- accountable. <laughs> holding George Bush <laughs> accountable because we share community with him in the Freemason secret society. Um, that's anyway. in the woods in Carver, Massachusetts. <laughs> uh huh. And while we were there um, at the book burning, um, I got my fairy name. And we've been talking about this on the podcast for over a year. Yeah. What's Anya's fairy name going to be? Because Nika's is famously teen idol. Yes. And when it comes to our um, secret society side of our life, people were calling us the house of teen idol and Anya (laughs) and it just didn't sound right because we needed a better fucking what it's just funny (laughs) so we we've a couple things have been um, written into law into Freemason law so first of all my fairy name is valid
2: (laughs) you're so (laughs) valid
0: because and here's here's the um, thought process behind this I um thought it'd be really funny for my name, my chosen name to be an affirmation that every time I introduced myself to someone, I was giving myself an affirmation. <laughs> so like, hi, I'm valid just was funny to me. Um, but then I was talking to Ty Mitchell about this. Um, <laughs> famously friend of the pod yes. former guest of the pod also a freemason
2: <laughs> true and tried bestie
0: um aries legend aries legend um and ty was like ha ah, ha ha like lol like hi valid you're so valid like that's so true you're valid and then we kind of parted ways for the evening and i like brought that up to a couple other friends i was like lol wouldn't it be funny if this was my freemason name <laughs> um and a few people were like actually that's iconic that yeah. she yeah. be your name and then we like decided on Val for short and you know hilarity ensued where like a lot of the Freemasons famously are gay mm-hmm. George Bush being a perfect example yeah. um Ellen DeGeneres, <laughs> Ellen, DeGeneres. <laughs> 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 uh, Ellen DeGeneres always had a fucking party she was so fun this week she was um
2: <laughs> great DJ. like I was yeah. honestly surprised by what she gave us
0: um so because there's a lot of gay men in this secret secret society, I just thought it'd be really funny to, like, force a bunch of gay men to call a woman valid. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, yeah, yada, yada, yada. There were several reasons why um, this name was funny to me. But then I also just started getting called valid. And I was like, I actually just like how this sounds as a name. It's like a pretty name. And I enjoyed being called Val. Yeah. Um, so then the next time I saw Ty later that night, I was like, I think you actually named me. I think yeah. my name is valid now. It's so
2: funny. They were so happy.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, then everyone just started calling me Val. The rest of this um, Freemason get together in Massachusetts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um so we've returned Teen Idol Invalid, but we are not the house of Teen, I- teen Idol Invalid. We are the, the house, house of mistakes. mistakes. And
2: JP also um, got their fairy name. Yeah, and JP so we're, is Doomsday. Yeah, so we're the house of uh, Teen Idol mistakes, valid mistakes, and Doomsday, and Doomsday mistakes. mistakes.
0: Um, and so yeah, pleasure to meet you all. Pleasure to introduce myself. That is my keepsake because it's literally a new name that I go by. I'm keeping that shit. Yes. Um, and multiple people have been like texting me already, like com- just saying like valid casually <laughs> and like referring to me as valid in like group chats. And I'm just like, oh, damn, this is how this is a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. This is my fucking name now. But I like it. And I really like being called Val. I think it's hot and butch, non-binary of me. Yeah. Um, But still feel free to call me Anya. I love my name, but... I just now have another one. And that's what being queer is. It's about collecting a cornucopia of names. Absolutely. When people gather to mourn us one day, they'll be crying out multiple names. Yeah. <laughs> it's about collecting names until you die. And then when you die, people um, write those, just a grocery list of things you went by. Yeah. On their tributes to you. And I think that's beautiful. Um, my mistake... Also kind of a long con mistake that I kind of just like came to to realize during this road trip. Um, <clears throat> I've been like, I, I referenced this a few months ago on the podcast, and I definitely have talked about it a lot on the Patreon episodes. Not a lot, but a little bit. Um, but I've been kind of on a journey for the last like year, but more specifically the last like six months. Of kind of just like analyzing my own sexuality and I, by sexuality, I don't mean who I'm attracted to. Like I am bi slash pansexual and I haven't been questioning that, but more my sexuality in terms of my relationship with sex itself. Mm-hmm. And, um, I realized that a lot of my issues, not even issues, but like my conundrums and my ponderings and my, Inquiries about like what my relationship to sex even is um, has been the result of comparing myself to what the people around me externalize mm-hmm. about their sexual mm-hmm. re- relationships and lives, and there is an entire internal world that everyone has that we don't like necessarily. Um bear witness to Mm -hmm. and so like I don't know with my own hypersexuality that I went through in my early 20s kind of like dying down um, I've been kind of witnessing the sexual habits of the people around me and like just not really seeing myself in the sexual lives Of kind of anybody around me like the queer people around me I felt like I'm not sexual enough and the straight people around me I feel like I'm more sexual than, Mm -hmm. and like I just like you know I couldn't really figure out like where I fall and like what this like missing thing is in me that I'm like bored by traditional sex but like kind of overwhelmed by and um equally uninterested in what is, has been normalized in queer sex. Mm-hmm. And, um, I talked to, to a lot of our friends about this and like pretty much everyone I spoke to said something about relating to that sentiment, even if they are someone who either has less sex than me or has way more sex than me. Like even if they're external behaviors in in their sexuality, indicate not being on the same page as where I'm at. Like a lot of people are internally on that page. And I sort of just realized that we're all kind of like we're all reckoning with the like kind of curse of being born into this like society that has has made sex like such a fucking thing. You know? Like You're either raised to be so deeply ashamed of it and, like, raised in, like, a puritanical view of it. Or you're, like, raised by more progressive people who they raise you in opposition of that. And so it's still informed by that puritanism. And, like, kind of no matter what, we're all having to, like, do this work in our... um, Adulthood and in our own sexual lives of unpacking like our own sexual trauma along with like societal sexual trauma along with like all the different ways that sex is like repressed in our popular culture and all the ways that it is that things are over sexualized in our popular culture. And, like you know, like you're kind of forced to like align yourself with things that you don't necessarily even align with like, you know. For example, with Britney Spears being like a big topic recently, people have been talking about her being like this oversexualized teen pop star and how that's like a bad thing. And then on the other side of that, people have been like, oh, she was like, you know, coming into her own sexuality and that was actually empowering. And it's like kind of neither in my opinion. But we've been like with more issues than just this one thing, mm-hmm. forced to be like it's great or it's terrible and like a lot of us are just like i don't know sex is just like another thing yeah and it's like another part of the human experience and it doesn't need to be as like picked apart mm-hmm. and like politicized and philosophized as it is yeah um so my great my like long con mistake i guess has been like kind of internalizing what are actually like much bigger societal issues with sex and sexuality Mm -hmm. and like I was kind of thinking that there was something like wrong or missing with me because I can't see myself in what is societally recognized as like sexually healthy Mm -hmm. on either end of the spectrum and I think like we just don't have a very healthy relationship to sex. So, yeah. like, I am not unhealthy for not seeing myself in what is, like, the options. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? I do. It just made me realize, that like, it's just, it's not fair of me to have put all of that on myself as, like, my own personal oh, problem. Totally, yeah. And literally, like, the last week, I've just, it's not that i felt, like, super horny again it's just more that i've like finally kind of come back into um embracing like the sexuality that does naturally occur in me rather than like picking it apart and like wondering like wondering why i'm attracted to certain things or wondering like Like what my role is in the dom versus sub, top versus bottom fucking dichotomy is like I kind of have like let go of all of those concerns. And all of a sudden I'm like um, interested in sex again. So didn't take long to fucking fix that problem (laughs) that has been like (laughs) fucking me up for fucking almost a year. My hot take. Also, let me clarify, this is not directed at any individual. It's just something that I've been, like, since coming back from this trip that a lot of our friends were also on, but also a lot of our friends were not on. I've just, it's like the third time that that has happened in, or it's more than the third time. It's just, since events started happening again in the last year, um, I've noticed that in our, like, queer community in New York City, there is like kind of a repetitive pattern that happens where like a certain chunk of people will go to that event. Hancho being an example. Somos being an example. Zipolite being an mm-hmm. example. And this Freemason uh, get together mm-hmm. being an example. Um, we're in different combinations. Portions of the greater community that we're in will go on these trips to these events and the people who don't go on the trip um always just have some fucking shit to say about like the people who went on the trip and like how annoying they're being about like posting photo like, oh, I'm like if I see one more sunset photo from Zipolite, I'm gonna yeah. like what like delete my Twitter. It's like, okay, then just do that because it's just like weird and boring to me that like you rather all the other shit that's on social media than just your friends having a good time, yeah. It's like, oh, you rather just doom scroll and be like the only thing on your newsfeed right now be about Roe v. Wade being overturned? Yeah. Like, why is it an issue that a bunch of people that you otherwise actually seem to like just had a nice time doing something that you chose not to do? Yeah. It just, it's giving very bitter. It's giving very boring. And I'm just like, I don't know. I, like, <laughs> I even. Um, I'm happy for my friends and like the photos of like when my friends go to Burning Man and like Burning Man is not something I would ever go to, but I'm like, it does look fucking rad if that's something that you want to do. And just because it's not my cup of tea doesn't mean I'm annoyed when Burning Man comes around and part of my newsfeed is like clogged with like people on their Burning Man bikes. Yeah. Posing in front of like big art installations in the desert. I'm like, that's actually dope. I'm so glad that there's joy being had in this fucked up world. Yeah. That's my hot take.
2: Hell yeah. Heard. Um,
0: (laughs) Ooh. Fuck up of the week. Above the I mean, Kim Kardashian wearing Marilyn Monroe's dress to the Met Gala is something that happened.
2: Yeah, I didn't really read much about that. I don't really so, understand why people are mad.
0: Basically, the reason people are mad is there's a actually kind of a laundry list. One of the reasons is that Kim Kardashian had to lose 16 pounds to fit into it. And she's been kind of, like, talking about that. Like, it's a fun fact that she lost 16 pounds in, like, three weeks. I hate that. To, like, fit into this dress. And, like, obviously that's, like, not a very healthy thing to be putting out into the world. Yeah. Especially as someone who's already kind of thought of as the the standard and the person that everyone has to keep up with. Like, um keep up with, like, what she does with her body. And, yeah. like, every time Kim Kardashian does something, like, there's, like, 1,400 products that are sold to make sure everyone else can do it, too. And so a lot of people were really upset that she was that she did that in the first place and that she's, like, normalizing it. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it's an iconic dress. It's Marilyn Monroe's, like, Happy Birthday Mr. President dress. But it's kind of, like, a boring-looking dress. Like, yeah. it's beautiful, but, like, as far as Met Gala goes not worth i mean nothing is worth losing 16 pounds in three weeks for i'm sorry that's fucked up and unhealthy and like a horrible thing to do to your body but um definitely like it's just unjustifiable uh when you're not doing it for something that's like high art you know what I mean yeah. like it's just like wouldn't it be cool if I wore Marilyn Monroe's dress and it's like yeah I guess but if you if you couldn't fit into it then don't wear it you yeah. know what I mean yeah. um but the other issues people have um she was given a lock of Marilyn Monroe's hair I that was that. stolen off of Marilyn Monroe's dead body by the mortician that that's dealt disgusting. with her body And that is a larger like the larger problem with that is just that that's kind of like what people did to Marilyn Monroe her whole life was like everyone wanted a piece of her and no one treated her like a person. And she was just like this. She was more of a myth to people than she was a person. And that's ultimately what kind of killed her and even in death she wasn't respected as a person yeah and then Kim Kardashian accepted that lock of hair
2: yeah that's disgusting
0: um like that's at least my read on it and why I think it was a mistake that she did that and also she's kim kardashian she has like all the money in the world she has all the resources to like get styled in like an absolute like jaw-dropping way and and often she is one of the showstoppers at the met gala it's like kind of disappointing that she did all of that for a dress that is like honestly not that remarkable if you don't know it was marilyn monroe's
2: yeah agreed um
0: and then yeah roe v wade yeah (laughs) is the other fuck
2: up yeah Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> uh, absolutely. And Alabama. Um, they just officially uh criminalized um or made it a felony for doctors to uh give trans kids um gender affirming healthcare and um so now doctors can be charged with the felony, but also parents are now being um are now Legally on the line For having their children taken away from them And put into the foster system If they um, Help their children transition In like a physical Way So that just happened And go follow Chase Strangio on Twitter To <clears throat> See what you can do to Help any of this um, They're a If you don't know who they are They're a trans organizer Activist and uh Lawyer, they're also a trans man themselves Um, And they are like Have been on the front lines of Every and all battles that Target the trans community for The last many years Um, yeah Listener mistakes
0: Alright, this is a mistake That someone wrote in a while ago But because it's kind of long and because of The contents I feel like we kind of just kept Pushing it um, down the road. But fuck it. Um, We'll do it live. As a great icon once said. All right. This person would like to be anonymous. And they give the trigger. I wonder why. (laughs) (laughs) They give the trigger warning of rape and suicidal thoughts. Um, The subject is gray area mistake that still haunts me. The summer going into senior year, my friend group and I befriended a group of juniors who were, in my eyes, these super cool punk feminists who took life by the horns and went for it. I was instantly attracted to one of them. Let's call her A. We all spent days, nights, weekends, and all of the school day together as a group, even forming a feminist club for others to join. Everything was going well until A broke up with their girlfriend, who went to a nearby high school. That same month, I think, we were all invited to another friend's house, S, whose parents were out of town, which meant that we could drink, smoke weed, and all crash at the house together like the tight-knit group of friends we were. I mean, we had all given each other shitty stick and pokes together, so we all felt very safe in a group setting. My best friend at the time, C, knew I was into A and wanted us to be together because she loved the idea of two Libras as a couple. Ew, why? (laughs) That's so much indecision. (laughs) Never do that. Just kidding. If you're happily in love as two Libras. Um, Every happiness to you both. Um, On the night of the party, we all drank a bit too much. C was sitting between A and I on the couch and pushed our heads together so we could kiss. We did, and it got more intense, with C still in the middle. Someone yelled for us to get a room, so we did. We went into S's room, locked the door, and continued to hook up. Our friends were knocking on the door, cheering us on, and made jokes about someone having sex on S's bed before she got the chance. After a while, A and I stopped in the middle of sex because she was feeling sick. I helped her to the bathroom, and she threw up all over herself and my clothes. I was a more experienced drinker so I was able to take care of her and myself while trying to keep other people out of the bathroom so she could get could get cleaned up. We all fell asleep later that night while watching Bob Ross and the next morning A asked if we had sex. I told her yes and she said she didn't remember. So I filled her in on why we stopped and how I helped her get cleaned up. A few weeks had gone by and my mom was out of town. Uh, a lived across the street and came over to my house often just to hang out. This particular night, we hooked up. Specifically, she went down on me, and that was it. Everything was fine at school that week, and I don't remember if any of our other friends knew about this this second sexual encounter. A month or two later was New Year's Eve, and A and S came over to drink with me, listen to records, and chill. We drank a bottle each and ended up in the bathtub together. All three of us squeezed in the tub with wine, began making out. We moved to my bedroom and had a threesome together. A went down on S and I went down on A. My mother walked in on us and it was one of the most embarrassing things ever. They both went home the next morning and back to school the next week and everything seemed okay. Our friend group seemingly knew about the threesome and didn't think much of it. Later, we had a bake sale at school for, a fe- for the feminist club I mentioned earlier, and everyone was posting about it on Twitter. Since our group was getting bigger and was active on feminist Twitter, our photo was being retweeted like crazy. There was a retweet from someone in another state saying, Why would you allow a rapist in the feminist club? I had just woken from a depression-induced nap and was so confused. I texted the group chat asking what that person was talking about and no one replied. I finally got a response out of the group chat saying that they were referring to me and A, um, and A was accusing me of raping them the night of the party. I was deeply confused and instantly went into the worst depressive episode of my life. My mom and pregnant sister um, 5150ed would me because I was manic and yelling about how I wished I was dead. When I was released from the hospital, I saw that everyone, including C, who had been my best friend for over nine years, had blocked me on all social media and would not take the time to hear my side of the story or see if I was okay. Some of them sent me articles on what rape is and how I was a horrible person. They told me to stay away from them and posted about it all over social media. I was getting death threats on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. People... People I didn't know were asking if it was true. Random people at school told me to drop out and never show my face again. S wrote rapist and big block letters in her, on her yearbook um, and posted it as a Snapchat story. It was mortifying. I'm still triggered when I hear any of their names or, God forbid, run into them since I still live near where I went to school. There was a few months where I left my senior year that I... Wait, there was a few months left of my senior year that I dreaded going to. I almost failed most of my classes, rarely even went to school, and started drinking alone and stealing my mom's pills. I was a wreck and still am at times about this. Two months ago, I got the stick and poke covered on my ankle, and since then I've been doing much better with not thinking too much about what could have been done differently. I still haven't talked to any of that group in years, other than occasionally running into them, um, running into one of them who works at the grocery store down the street from my apartment. I've tried to reach out, not recently, but within the past five years. I truly regret having sex with A that night and wish that we were that we established clear boundaries the night of the party. I don't know how I feel about the group today. Sometimes I miss having that group of friends. Other days, I remember I don't need people in my life who choose to only listen to one side of the story. I myself am a rape victim and know that my experience was brutal, violent, and was 221 21-year-olds... Wait and was two 21-year-olds size, power, and authority to gang rape a 16-year-old girl at a party. I'm currently in therapy working on my depression and my anxiety, and I found meds that make me feel normal again. I understand that mistakes happen, and it led me to be where I am today. I have a husband who I've been with for seven years who loves me more than I knew I could be loved. Thanks for listening. Please don't use my name.
2: Well, thank you for sharing that. That's yeah, a lot to share.
0: That was a lot to share. And um. yeah, this is a tough uh, a tough one to get into because, like I said, people feel very strongly about these situations. Um, but I will say that it is a shame that there's not more of a playbook or like not more infrastructure on how to handle. Situations like this outside of just like, okay, believe the victim and the accused person is banished and shunned, and that's the solution.
2: I think that it's, you know, what happened is traumatic and horrible for this person, but it's almost like in a fucked up way for the best that they found out years ago rather than years later after even more time was invested in these friendships that like these are honestly, in my opinion, people that they don't need to be friends with because yeah. like for your close friends to automatically right away believe such fucked up allegations about you without reaching out to you to get your side of the story, like those are those are not people that you need in your life. Um,
0: also, even if it is... Even if the fact of the matter was that, like, you were a rapist um, that did this thing, I think that in a, like, in a world where we're trying to learn how to navigate these things, it is the f- the friends of these people's responsibility to hold this person accountable yeah. and, like... um yeah. Like, you know, we I don't know how these feminists, where they fall on, like, the carceral state. But I assume if they're in a fucking feminist club, they're probably people who purport to be, like, you know, abolitionists. Yeah. And it's, like, if you don't believe in, like, that kind of societal punishment, then, like, you need to believe in how communities are supposed to hold each other accountable. And kind of like you said like one of the most loving things you can do is hold someone accountable. Mm -hmm. And um, in this particular situation, like it was the responsibility of the friends to like get the whole story, also recall their own experience of that story because those friends were there for that Mm. Um, and be friends to both of you in a better way. But I also understand what it's like to be the person who like, you know, wakes up and doesn't remember having sex with somebody and like how invasive and um traumatizing that is to be that person. And so I like don't completely blame this person for like her version of events being what it was. But like and they were in high school, so you know, yeah. I can't like tell a high schooler that they handled it totally. wrong.
2: No, same. I hold these people accountable now as the adults that they are because what this person said, they've been married now for seven years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're like full grown adults now. And for them to have never reached out to this person and to never, you know, listen to this person, this person said they've reached out to them since it happened. I think that says a lot about who they are Mm -hmm. as adults and Mm -hmm. not as teenagers when we're not fully formed people yet. Totally. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's um, I mean, it's a it's a complicated situation because like I said, there is no like playbook available to us. Yeah. So I understand. I kind of understand everyone involved and it wouldn't necessarily have done what they did. um, And I definitely feel for this person and like I feel um, horrible for like that. That's how they had to find out that they didn't really have friends in these people. But I also understand, you know, these people probably felt like they were doing the right thing and being like a loyal friend to this other person. And with allegations as serious as those, it's really hard to know what to do. Um, I personally probably, and historically would have handled it differently, but I like, it's so hard to like tell people that what they did was right or wrong when like we literally have no guide to go by because like on a societal level, we don't believe victims. So we kind of overcorrect by like believing people to the point of like not caring about Mm -hmm. context. Yeah. And like, I think that's a natural thing to happen and it's not the individuals who are at fault for that. Um, that being said, to be the on, on the receiving end of that overcorrection is like a horrific thing to happen to somebody. And I know several people that that has happened to. And like, you know, those of us who even speak up about believing those people get a lot of backlash. Yeah. Because it means it somehow automatically means we don't believe the victim. And I think both things can be true. Yeah. Like in this case. I believe that it was traumatizing for that person to wake up and not remember having sex. And I also believe that this person didn't intentionally um, take advantage of like an over inebriated person, you know, like both people's truths can be validated. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you're doing better now. I'm glad you're in a happy marriage and thank you for writing in so vulnerably about such a like touchy and hard subject.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Deep
1: dive.
2: Deep dive. dive. So, to lighten the mood, (laughs) my deep dive is um, a quick, uh, lighthearted one. So, for most of elementary school and all of middle school, um, my amazing uh, eighth-grade English teacher, Mrs. Hankel. Uh Her daughter um had a crush on me, and we were a year apart and i don't know that she had one on me all of elementary school, but I know that she had one on me for all of middle school and I thought she was really cool um but I wasn't interested in one I wasn't someone who really ever dated anyone in middle school I wasn't that kid um I wasn't like making out with anyone. Or doing any of that shit. Um, But in the 8th grade at our school dance in uh, our cafeteria, Blessed Sacrament. um, I forget what part of the year it was. But I think it was towards the end of the school year. um, Miss Sinkle's daughter told me that she had a crush on me. And... You know, it was the eighth grade dance. It was one of the last of the year. I was feeling, you know, just a lot of um, love in that sweaty, sweaty cafeteria turned into a dance party. And I asked her if she wanted to be my girlfriend. And she very excitedly said yes. Um, and because I um, am a fuckboy with commitment issues anytime that i am the one who initiates a relationship um i uh, you know a few days went by and on monday i found her in the schoolyard and broke up with her so this was on a friday by monday we'd broken up um because i realized that i simply was not in a place in the eighth grade (laughs) To be in a committed relationship. (laughs) And I felt. And that is
0: when you set the pieces into motion for never (laughs) having someone be in love with you back.
2: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) You've been punished for this ever since.
2: Well, doing it to them and then doing it to that other person uh, that I also asked to be my girlfriend. And then I broke up with them on Mother's Day on AIM and told them I wasn't going to the spring formal with them. Um, when they asked, which was like weird, they asked me like months later and I was like, obviously the answer is (laughs) no. Oh wait, not months later, but like a month later. Anyway. Um, yeah. And so I, I broke up with them. Um, and things were a little bit weird for a minute specifically because I was very close with their mom, who was also my teacher. Um, but we got over it and we, you know, we got stronger than ever. Um, but yeah, definitely. A mistake. I, I I was thinking about that today. I like never think about that, but I thought about that today when I was trying to think of what to do a deep dive on. Um, sorry, Mrs. Hankel's daughter for doing that to you. (laughs) I hope you're well. Love you.
0: Well, you just lightened the mood, and I'm ready to get it real dark again. Great. Um, and so it doesn't really relate, other than you know a, um, you you know what you got in over your head. Mm. In a way that um, you weren't anticipating for such innocent circumstances. Yeah. And um, in that way, your mistake was much like the mistake of um, Geraldine Largay, who was a um, Appalachian trail hiker that got lost and died due to a very small and unforeseeable mistake she made when almost at the end of the Appalachian trail.
1: Best mistake.
0: So we were talking about the Appalachian trail a lot on this trip because we were in Appalachia I'm, and I'm going to hike it when Appalachia, I'm 30 and because Nika's going to hike it when she's 30. Um. So yeah, we were driving through the Appalachian mountains and just Appalachian country and, The topic of the Appalachian Trail came up a few times and it got me thinking about this case that um, was a really big deal a few years ago of um, Geraldine. So Geraldine was a 66-year-old woman um, who always had a love of hiking and had the goal of hyping the Appalachian Trail one day, but... um, Due to a back injury, she sort of, like, counted herself out of long-form trail hiking ever being an option for her because she couldn't carry the weight of supplies on her back. And so she and her husband of over four decades came up with the solution of that he would drive to, like, meet her at certain points on the trail to, like, bring her supplies And that way she wouldn't have to just carry these supplies on the whole trail the way, the traditional way. Um, So she and her friend Jane Lee took to the trail in April of 2013. And every so many miles, um, Geraldine's husband would meet up with them and replenish their supplies. And at a certain point when they were almost done with the trail and when they were in Maine, Jane had to depart um, because of some kind of like family emergency or something. And Geraldine decided that she would finish the trail on her own because it had always been a, um, you know, this like long term goal of hers. And she's like, we're so close to the end and I'm just going to finish it. I'm going to do it. Um, so in, um, on the 22nd of July in 2013, um, Geraldine, also known as Jerry. So I might refer to her as that occasionally, um, left the trail briefly to relieve herself and, um, never got back onto the trail and she, chronicled her whole journey on the trail in her journal and so when her body was found um, they found a jur- the journal and it like she chronicled all the days that she was lost before she died um, so she was alive for 26 days mm. and her body was found on the trail or found only like a little bit less than two miles away from the trail so she when search parties went out for her when her husband reported her as missing um just a couple days after she um got lost and she didn't show up at the like meeting point that he was going to bring her supplies at um when he reported her as missing there were like search parties both on the trail and also like helicopter search parties and um many of them walked like right past her mm-hmm. But the part of Maine that she was in is in like a really, really thick forest that um, it's really easy to like be only a few feet away from something and not be able to see it because of like how thick the brush is. And that's also the explanation that they have for like how easily she got lost from just going off the trail to like pee. Um, her friend Jane, the one that she was hiking with, said that she like had like a comical um like a comically bad sense of direction. And so everyone, you know, the, the idea, the the conclusion that people have come to is that, like, she just didn't even remember which direction the trail was from where she peed. And so she... And because she couldn't see the trail very easily because the trees are so thick where she was, she just confidently walked in the wrong direction and never got back onto the trail. Um, so... Um, she was missing, she remained missing for over two years. And it was like a great mystery what happened to her. There were lots of theories and lots of um, tips called in about her lots of apparent sightings of her. It became like a point of fixation that like for two years is this, this mystery of what happened to this 66 year old woman who was only a few hundred miles away from the end of the Appalachian Trail and like had almost completed this hike. But then a forester from a private company began an inventory of trees on land used by the Navy's remote SERE survival school um, in Reddington township, Maine. So starting at a point that had been randomly generated by a computer, he walked a straight line pausing periodically to count trees at his third stop on a narrow knoll about 100 yards inside the navy property, he stumbled upon an old campsite. A collapsed tent, a green backpack, and not far away he saw what looked like human re- remains swaddled in a blue sky- in a sky blue sleeping bag. So he called his headquarters, which called the navy, which alerted Maine law enforcement, and the next day Lieutenant Kevin Adam, a search and rescue coordinator for the Maine warden service, went to check the scene and he just knew that what was found was Geraldine, who j- disappeared two years prior to that. He still at this point was having sleepless nights over her case. It was like a case that had been haunting him. So when he came upon the campsite, um, something that they all noticed was that she kept her campsite very neat and tidy all the way to the end. Um, Her body was in her sleeping bag and her driver's license was neatly tucked into a Ziploc bag. Um, And there were signs that she had tried very hard to be rescued. There were several, several trees that bore scorch marks from fires tiny strips of emergency blanket hung from downed branches. Um, And it was clear that she had kind of prepared her body to be identified. So like the license being in a Ziploc bag. And um, she had written like several like notes in her notebook, kind of like when you find my body, here's what happened. So a little backstory on her. She um, was a retired nurse and she dedicated herself to her family and her church in Brentwood, Tennessee. She kept a close group of friends and never forgot a birthday or an anniversary. The little free time she had, she spent in the woods and she loved guidebooks. Like she loved walking around with guidebooks on local birds or wildflowers. And as soon as her grandson could walk, she would take him on hikes and, um, And when she couldn't get outside, she worked on elaborate quilts, including one of a backpacker making his way down a path. She had given herself the trail name Inchworm because um, she knew finishing the trail was going to take a while, but she was determined to do it anyway. Their plan was to do what backpackers called a flip-flop hike. So they started in the middle of the Appalachian Trail to get to um, the end in Maine and then drive back to the... The point that they started at in West Virginia and hikes south to Georgia, and the reason for this is because, because she knew that she was going to take longer than most hikers, she wanted to get the northmost part of the trail done first, and then um, do the part that would have you know warmer, like it would be warmer in the later months, mm-hmm. on the second half. She kept logs of the flora she saw along the way with notes like "fabulous fern day." She was just very excited about all the things that she would see along the trail and like how all of her interests were kind of like culminating in this big life event um, and this big goal of hers. So early one morning at the um, Poplar Ridge lean-to, a um, a longtime Appalachian Trail hiker Dottie Rust snapped a photo of Jerry wearing a red fleece. Um, It'll make the perfect Christmas card They had told her and they're quoted as saying, I was just so impressed with her. She had a plan. She really had her wits about her. And then there was that big smile. And so the photo that they took of her is the last photo of her, the last known photo of her taken the morning of July 22nd, 2013. So of all the laws in backpacking, leave no trace is the most important to hikers You take your trash with you. Purists avoid even pitching a tent. Don't light a fire because it leaves too much of a scar. But um, obviously, leave no trace gets complicated when it comes to human waste. And the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, um, which oversees the trail, offers two options on the matter. Dig a hole at least 200 feet off the trail and bury your feces in toilet paper, or be prepared to pack the toilet paper out in a sealed plastic bag. Um, So most hikers choose option one. Um, So when Jane and Jerry were hiking together, they'd sometimes take turns. One person would stand guard while the other walked far off the trail to find an out-of-sight tree to duck behind. Um, And this is also... Part of this is also just safety of being a woman. It's like a vulnerable position to be in. And if like someone else on the trail sees that you're um, relieving yourself and you're all exposed, it's just it's understandable why you'd want to be out of sight of the trail, but also to meet the 200 foot rule. It just is like a perfect storm of why when she was now by herself, it was very hard for her to get back onto the trail. Um, So that morning, the same morning that that photo was taken, just a couple of hours later, she stepped off the trail and it was the first of a number of tiny decisions that each made perfect sense in isolation, but the sum of them would result in her death. She had walked onto land owned by the state of Maine that had been logged 12 years prior. Today, foresters often truck out a lot of the discarded trees and brush, but back then they didn't. In the decades since, the area had grown into unusually thick tangle. Um, She stood up in the dense underbrush and looked around. She took a few steps in what she believed to be the direction back to the trail. Obviously that didn't feel quite right. Um, These are all things that they found from her journal. Around 11 a.m. she pulled out her phone and typed a quick text to her husband in some trouble, got off the trail to go to the bathroom, now lost. Can you call the AMC to see if a trail maintainer can help me? Somewhere north of the Woods Road, XOX. She pressed send. She waited. The text came back. Message receipt failed. She tried again. No signal. So she, det- try- she decided to try to climb higher, looking for one. Um, walking was a slog, especially with all these downed trees. She passed a stream. she went up a couple of ridges. Late that Monday afternoon she pitched her tent. It was a crummy sight, but the best she could hope for that day. The next day it poured um, at four in the at four in the afternoon, she tried texting her husband again, lost since yesterday off trail three or four miles, called police for what to do, please XOx. no reception. Um, George waited for her in the trailhead parking area off route 27 all day on Tuesday, and she didn't arrive at first. He wasn't alarmed thinking the downpour had delayed her. He periodically checked his phone. Um, and that night he slept in his SUV in the parking area. Um, the next day he was worried enough to flag down a police officer and the officer called the warden service. So because it's pretty common for hikers to show up a couple days late in rainy conditions, um, they weren't, like, immediately super concerned. But just in case they began to strategize, they briefed a volunteer search and rescue organization that planned to cover her intended route, Um, and they called up a pilot who was en route within hours. Um, Border Patrol began putting up signs notifying people about a missing hiker, and alert, an alert went out on social media. On Wednesday, she hiked back to the stream she had passed the day before. She knew she needed a, a source of clean water. She moved her tent, choosing a spot on the knoll with the thinnest canopy so she could be visible from above. At her new campsite, she broke branches and arranged them around um, to build a dry platform for her tent and hung up her gear to dry. She cut up pieces of her silver emergency blanket, and hung them in places where the sun came through the trees. She figured the reflection might help a pilot see her campsite. She's considered how best to ration her food. She'd only carried enough for the three days between the last time she saw her husband and the next time mm-hmm. she was supposed to meet with him for a tiny dinner that evening. She ate just a few almonds and Fritos along with a prune or two. Um, then she began to say the full rosary. Um, kevin adam a twenty three year vet- veteran of the warden service um likened search and rescue work to assembling mixed up jigsaw puzzles um some of some- some of the pieces fit most of them don't so when you're le- when you're lucky, you get just the right pieces and put them in just the right order you find your missing person, but that's hard to do with appalachian trail hikers. Um, hikers are constantly moving and adopting trail names that they change along the way. They lose track of days and miles. They can be lousy witnesses. Searchers in less remote places can sometimes use cell phone towers to help find missing people, but there weren't enough towers here here to help triangulate Jerry's location by Saturday, four days into the search. Um, Owners of hostels in the area were calling every hiker on their registries and Dottie Rust returned to her home in Maryland that evening to catch one of those calls. Rust called the authorities and told them about um, seeing Jerry at that lean-to and um, she offered to send the photo she snapped Monday morning of Jerry in her red fleece. It was the first definitive proof inchworm had made it to that particular site So the wardens um, now had what they called a place last seen. But where Jerry had gone from there was still a very difficult puzzle to piece together. The wardens found three hikers who remembered seeing an older woman with glasses just a few miles from the Spalding Mountain lean to, which would have put her farther along the trails than searchers had originally believed. It definitely could have been her. Um, but did they have a conversation with her? No, and um, they so they didn't like get her name or anything. Um, if one puzzle piece will forever haunt Adam, it's that one. He knew Largay was famous for her her gregariousness. And I'm think, and so he's quoted as thinking I'm thinking that's not Jerry like she would have talked to them. Mm-hmm. But but maybe she's having a hard hike that day. Maybe she's not feeling so good. Um, I tried to force it to fit. So he called together his team and pointed to a map that had been divided into a grid. And he said, OK, let's look at the stats. Let's look at the let's look at the terrain. Where do you think she is? Um, He didn't want one person making decisions about how resources should be allocated. They all agreed if Jerry had made it as far as Spalding Mountain as the information from both the phone call and the boys had suggested, she must be somewhere between there and Sugarloaf. As small groups continued to run searches around the place last seen, the wardens shifted shifted the focus of their efforts about 10 miles north to the area around Mount Abraham and Spalding. Um, as the days progressed, his confidence waned. No matter how hard they searched, there was no evidence um, of Jerry in the area. He called off-duty wardens and authorized more overtime budget. Canine teams went out, though the underbrush was so thick the dog's handler sometimes had to carry them. At one point, Jerry heard the aircraft. She waved her red fleece. She prayed the luminous mysteries of the rosary for protection of um of the pilots on July 28th, six days after stepping off the trail, she ate her last remaining food. She heard a search plane for about an hour. The next day, this one sounding farther away, she considered moving her camp to another site yet decided it would be just as hopeless. Um, As the days went on, she practiced walking points with her compass. She read and reread a paperback novel she'd brought along. She took strands of dental floss and tried to practice sewing intricate French knots, and she wrote in her journal. On the morning of July 30th, she heard a plane searching the area again, then a helicopter that afternoon. She waved her shirt as frantically as she could, and no one could see her. Um. Uh, And she felt as long as she knew they were searching for her, she would bear this for as long as she could. On the 1st of August, wardens launched their plane to check a tip near Sugarloaf. They made one more big ground search a few days after that. 30 officers, all the private teams they could muster. They whistled. They called Jerry's name. They heard nothing. They found nothing. In the 12 days they'd been searching they had gathered only one solid clue, the photo that Dottie Rust took the day she went missing. Um, On August 6th, they packed up the mobile command center and made the long drive back to the regional headquarters. The investigation continued, but the wardens didn't fly over the area again until November after leaves had fallen. So on August 6th, Jerry powered on her phone and tried texting again. Still no service. Um, she'd been lost for two weeks and been had a, been out of food for nine days. She lit a fire near two trees to signal that she was alive, scorching their trunks. She'd kept a fire going for two hours the day before. And um, this time she tried to make it even smokier, but no one came. She tore a page from her journal, um, When you find my body, please call my husband, George, and my daughter, Carrie. It will be the greatest kindness for them to know that I am dead and where you found me, no matter how many years from now. Please find it in your heart to mail the contents of this bag to one of them. The next morning, she walked down to the stream and washed her favorite shirt. It had been a gift from George when they had visited Gettysburg. Um, She was wearing it as her nightshirt at the campsite. It made her think of him. George is her husband, by the way. I don't know if I ever said his name. Ultimately, it took two years um, for them to find her body. And when they found it, it was about 2,300 feet um, as the crow flies from a well-worn path known as Railroad Road, um, which intersects the Appalachian Trail and eventually becomes a public road. That says Jerry's daughter was one of the hardest things for her to accept that her mom didn't know how close she was to help. Jerry had written in her journal every day until August 10th. A final entry is dated August 18th, leading them to speculate she survived close to a month. Um, The Largay family think that the last date is probably incorrect. So once they got the call about um, Jerry being found, her family traveled to Maine to collect her remains and they made the difficult hike into her campsite carrying a small cross. Her son-in-law had the idea to erect where her tent had been. It had messages from all of her grandchildren. Someday she'll uh, someday Jerry's daughter says she'll take them there herself so that they can see just how strong their grandmother really was. Um, so even in her final days, Jerry worried about, what might hurt or inconvenience her family at her campsite. She had chopped up her credit card and buried the pieces so that no one could exploit it. She kept her driver's license so that could easily identify her. She neatly stacked her pots and pans and sealed the journal. She'd been keeping in a waterproof bag, along with the instructions, George, please read XOXO. She folded her glasses and placed them into a storage pocket in her tent. Then she tucked herself into her sleeping bag for the last time. In her journal, she wrote that she wanted her family to know she was sorry that no hike was more important than them. She wrote each of them a long letter, putting into words her gratitude for all they had shared and offering thoughts about how they could move forward. Um, uh, my deepest love for you, she wrote in one of the last of them. And to all my friends, I pray to see you all in heaven. Um. So my sources are an article from the Boston Globe written by Katherine Miles titled, When You F- Find My Body, The Last Days of Jerry Largay, um, a article from The Guardian by Alan Uhas, um, titled, Hiker Who Went Missing on the Appalachian Trail Survived 26 Days Before Dying, Um and an article from the New York Times by Jess Bidgood and Richard Perez Pena, titled "Geraldine Largay's Wrong Turn: Death on the Appalachian Trail." So yeah. that's the very sad, but I also think kind of like badass story yeah. of Jerry Largay.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. I. It's obviously super tragic, and it's obvious that she didn't want to die, and that her family didn't want her to die. And like, it's tragic that she was so close to the trail and that, you know, that just like a series of her own mistakes and the mistakes of the people searching for her, um, led to an untimely death. But I also think like a silver lining is that she did something that not a lot of 66 year old women have the guts to do. Yeah. And she literally died doing what she loved. Like, she wanted to hike this Appalachian Trail. She loved hiking. It was, like, a huge part of her personality and a huge part of her sense of self. And, like, I don't know. You and I talk a lot about, like, if, you know, if the apocalypse comes, what's the thing we want to do when we, like, ride into the sunset? And, like... It kind of other than obviously she wanted to be with her family, but like other than not being with her family, it kind of seems like this was the activity that she would do to ride into the sunset. Yeah. And she did um, obviously n- in a less than ideal kind of drawn out way um, and like dying of starvation and exposure is no way to go. But um I don't know. I also find like the fact that she had the guts to do any of that in the first place and had the bravery, it seems to like just kind of face that she was going to die. Like I find all of that very inspiring. And I hope that one day when I'm facing the abyss in the face that I have like the same. Yeah, same bravery that she did.
2: Same.
1: Moral of the story.
0: The moral of the story to me is to, like, do the damn thing.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, and for all of us, that means different things. But for her, it was, like, it was literally a bucket list item. Yeah. And I feel like the thing about bucket list items is that some of them might kill you. Yeah. But, like, it's worth trying. It's, it's obvious that she, you know, in her letter of being like, no hike is more important than you guys. Like... I'm I'm not trying to like put words in her mouth that like it was worth it yeah but I know I know but I also think that like I hope that her family is more inspired by her zest for life and like her desire to do things like this than they are now scared of those things because like I think that if anything she's just like proof of how important it is to do these things
2: yeah Yeah, I I mean, it seems like they're not if, you know, her daughter wants to bring her kids there one day. Like, yeah, you know, they did that hike themselves to go retrieve her things. And like they didn't need to do that. Yeah. So it seems like that spirit, her spirit lives on with them. Yeah. Thank you for that journey that you took us on. (laughs) Rest in peace, Jerry. Rest in peace, Jerry. Thank
0: you to Jerry for taking us on that journey and for taking herself on that journey. Yeah. Um. And yeah, don't fucking go too far off the trail when you hike it when you're 30, Nika. I won't, I promise. Thank you. Ignore that 200 foot rule, just like shit on the I trail. I mean, I literally will. <laughs>
2: if I'm alone, I will not go alone to shit.
0: <laughs> if I'm alone, I will not be alone. Yeah. <laughs> no um, way. No, we'll have better cell service by then, and I'll just have a drone follow you. <laughs> <laughs> um well, with that,
2: test your holes.
0: Test your drugs
2: and kiss your friends on the, the mouth, mouth. And, and write us write us your mistakes. mistakes. Uh,
0: we are running low. best mistakes pod. scraping at gmail the towel <laughs> Kiss your friends on the mouth, but also like write us a quick mistake right before you do that. Or maybe after. maybe kissing your friend on the mouth is the mistake yeah. tell us about that Yeah um, we love you We love
2: you.